that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. So that's Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer. One. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today is season four. And season four is the Reformed Church. Episode two is the Heidelberg Catechism. And we have a great guest on, a repeat guest on that knows a lot about the Heidelberg Catechism. Dr. R. Scott Clark. We're going to have hear him talk about that here in a few minutes. Um, but before we jump in, a few reminders. Check us out on our show notes. Click a few links. Uh, find us on social media, tr- Twitter, Instagram, uh, email, YouTube, that kind of thing. And then you can click the Society of Reformed Podcasters. You can find other like-minded podcasts out there that we are a member of in that group. There's also a local church finder link where you can click it, type in your zip code, find the closest reformed church near you. You can find out information, how to become a bridge builder to support our show and other links and information that pertains to this season and this episode. So we will jump in and welcome back, Dr. R. Scott Clark. How are you doing? I'm well, how are you guys? Doing good. This is it's like uh it's like Inception, the Heidelcast on the Heidelberg on a podcast named after the Heidel or Heidelberg catechism. So it's like That's all right. these all these lanes kind of converging into one thing. <laughs> There's so many yeah. things going on at once. It's it's having I'm having a hard time keeping up, but it's it's a pleasure right. having you back on. Well, it's good to be here. It's good to see you guys. Yeah. And- for you YouTube fellows out there, you'll see every time we talk to Dr. Clark, he looks different in all of our videos. Last time, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, this is the every time you had a Nebraska hat on, I think the last time we saw him, oh, <clears throat> he's taken off. No, he's, Uh-oh, he's uh, going back for it. Oh, there we go. He's got it. He's got it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he brought out his mustache last time, and now he's got it back. So we must ask you a question, <laughs> that kind of thing. So... <laughs> Yeah, before uh, before we get too in the weeds, um, how you been? What have you been up to lately? Um, you know what, what's what's on the agenda this year for you, Doctor Clark? Uh, still trying to finish the commentary, uh, hmm. get get it closer. I think I mostly finished um, 112 yesterday. Um, so, and I was hoping to finish uh, 113 today, but but the we happened. Well, yeah, uh, so there, there, were, there were some other things before you, but yeah, it, yeah. Um, uh, I know you're, I, I love these emails I get. I know you're busy, but <laughs> if you really believe that, then why? anyway, uh, it's my fault because I sort of make myself available. Um, yeah. No, it, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the main thing. We've been busy uh, trying to get uh, a new organization going, uh, the Heidelberg Reformation Association. That's right. Yeah. How's that going? Um, it's coming. It um, it's remarkably difficult to get something started in the United States in 2022. So yeah, you're kidding, um, huh? And uh, and don't, boy, don't make a mistake on um, government forms. Don't do that. I've learned that. Don't make that. Don't make any mistakes. Get no. that right the first time, and um, you'd be surprised how hard it is to uh, to do some very simple things. Yeah, you know, like. Like put money in a bank. That's, yeah. uh, I'd like yeah. to put some money in your bank. Well, do you have, do you have this? No. Do you have that? No, I do have some money. Can I put that? <laughs> yeah. that used to be the prerequisite. Yeah, And you're a bank. Yeah. So why can't I put it in this? Yeah, exactly. You're a bank. I have money. 
used to be anyway i'm just a simple guy anyway, so we're, we're, <laughs> hey hey money doesn't solve all problems i guess no, right so no, and apparently it does it's not it's not enough to open a bank account so no right you right. can't even do that with it that's so right but i think it'd be easier just to find a mattress somewhere yeah anyway, um, yeah so it's interesting the easiest thing so far has been to open up the mailbox and even huh. that required two uh two pieces of id fortunately i had <laughs> i had what i needed so yeah I had to go back oh. out to the vehicle and get my registration. So that was interesting. Ah. Anyway. Well, we, we all live in California, so we have a good way. Uh, we've had everything overcomplicated for us by sure, for sure. And <laughs> yeah, then in, this, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in that, the spirit of that. Let's, let's talk about, about a less complicated topic. Yeah. yeah something guess, that the Heidelberg yeah. is meant to make things less complicated and explain yeah. scripture yeah. yeah it is yeah and yeah here's uh here's the one yeah. i keep by my desk yep yep uh, so i have a couple of these that i got from the uh reformed church in the united states yeah for those who are listening to this just audio is just, just holding kind of like a small red volume so these are the reformed yeah. what was that from this is this is the my little red book okay uh, this is the little red uh copy of the heidelberg catechism this is the 1978 edition Okay. which is published by the Reformed Church of the United States. I don't oh, even yeah. know. I, I think they still have that edition on their website. I don't know if they still publish it, but this is, so when I think of the catechism, this is actually what I think of is hmm. this one or my even older one that's all marked up somewhere. I think it's behind me. Anyway, yeah. so that, um, yeah, the Heidelberg Catechism is a, is a collection of questions and answers that was commissioned maybe in 1562 or so. And uh, and then was published in its final uh, version, final edition, the third edition in, I think, January or so of 1563, mm-hmm. uh, after it was, um, there was some editing done after it was, um, after it was published uh, initially, uh, question, eight, uh, question 80 was added at the um, instruction of the, of the elector, uh, hmm. Heidelberg Catechism, uh, is named after the principal city, capital city of of a government district that existed in the 16th century. Uh, it was one of the seven electorates, and they were governed by electors. So you think of governors in a sense. Um, they were more than governors because they were electors of the emperor. So that's why they were called electors. And there were seven of them, and only one of them was reformed. And in um, and, and he was he he had just become uh, the elector, and uh, the fact that he was reformed was something of a problem because uh, the law governing religion in the empire said and had said since 1555 or so that you can either be Roman or uh, Lutheran. Yeah, they made no provision for anything else, hmm. and um, there were ways in which uh, Frederick and the reformed were with the Lutherans on some basic things, or they were certainly with Luther on, uh, on some basic things, yeah. but there were also differences between them. So we were with them on the Reformation basics of justification and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They were, uh, we were together on justification on the basis of the righteousness of Christ imputed, earned yeah. for us, imputed to us, received through faith, resting and receiving in, in Christ alone. And um, the, the scriptures as the final soul, unique authority uh, for the Christian faith and the Christian life, that sola scriptura, um, that uh, sola gratia, that uh, divine favor. Not, it's not a medicine. It's not a stuff. It's, it's God's favor toward us in Christ it is uh, free acceptance with God, free salvation uh, through, uh, through Christ and through faith alone in Christ. All of those things, uh, we were together on the distinction between law and gospel, that there are yeah. two kinds of words in Scripture a law word and a gospel word. We were on the same page um, uh, with them on that. Uh, we were together that God uses the gospel to uh, the law to convict us of our sins and the gospel to bring us to new life and true faith. So we were together on a lot of things, but we were uh, not in agreement on some things about uh, worship. We operated on different principles. Um, yeah. Uh, Lutheran principle says you can do whatever's not forbidden. And the reform principle said you uh, can only do and worship what God has commanded. And uh, we were not on the same page exactly on the two natures of Christ and uh, not on the same page relative to the 
nature of Christ's presence in the supper. Yep, yep. And also on baptism, we were a little bit apart. Particularly, I think this is controversial. I've been criticized for saying this. I think we were farther, as the Reformed saw things, we were farther away from Lutheran orthodoxy as it came to exist in the 1550s and 60s, um, then, and maybe even in the 1540s, we were farther from Lutheran Orthodox on baptism than we were from Luther. Yeah. And Calvin, Calvin certainly believed that he was essentially with Luther on the supper, not, not, not exactly on every point, but that the, that the supper is more than a remembrance and, and less than a Eucharistic memorial sacrifice. And that he was with Luther that in the supper, Christ feeds us on his body and blood. And where we differed is, how does that happen? And Luther and the Lutheran Orthodox uh, held to in, with, and under. And uh, Calvin uh, simply said, by the mysterious operation of the Holy Spirit, that wasn't enough for the Lutheran. So there were some genuine differences. And Frederick, in order to um, clarify what was happening religiously in the Palatinate, uh, when he became prince, he, they had been Lutherans for about 10 years or a little longer, maybe. Um, but but for the through the 1550s, they had been Lutheran. And before that, they had been Roman. Uh, the previous elector, Otto Henry, had made them sort of vaguely, uh, broadly Lutheran. Um, and uh, the, there were lots of different things being taught in the electorate when, when Frederick became prince. And he's and um, he wanted to clarify what was going on. So uh, he instructed the, the theologians to write a catechism. And so they, uh, the principal writer of the Heidelberg Catechism was Zacharias Ursinus, who is um, from Breslau, which is now considered to be in Poland, uh, in Silesia. He was born in 1534, died in 1583. Uh, and the, uh, the other major contributor, not exactly an author of the catechism, but major contributor, I suppose, editor was Caspar Olivianus, which is yep. the, who was the guy that I yep. studied. Your um, boy, yep. Yeah, my boy Casper, who was born in 1536 and died in 1587. Uh, Frederick, um, Ursinus, Zacharias Ursinus, wrote a couple of catechisms, a major catechism and a minor, a smaller catechism. And then out of that smaller catechism uh, came the Heidelberg Catechism, which is 129 questions and answers. What's a catechism? Uh, that's great. Uh, it's a great question because <laughs> it's essentially that uh, that's what a catechism is. It's a collection of questions and answers. Yeah. And uh, the, the Heidelberg covers the basics of the Christian faith. It has a little prologue. Um, and um, the, this show, right, this podcast is called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude. And um, that's the organization of the Heidelberg Catechism. Yep. It's also, by the way, the organization of the Book of Romans. Yeah. yeah. Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude. So the first part of the catechism, uh, after the prologue, teaches us uh, the greatness of our sin and misery. The second part of the catechism teaches us how we are. Are redeemed from all our sins and misery by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And the third part of the catechism is how we ought to be thankful to God for such redemption. And uh, it covers the the Ten Commandments as the rule of the Christian life, and um, and then uh, the Lord's Prayer exposits exposits the Lord's Prayer. So, the, but the vast majority of the Heidelberg Catechism is on grace, how we are redeemed from all our sins yeah. and misery. Um, and uh, so we do the the major things that catechisms do. It walks through the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. Those are the three basic documents yeah. of, uh, of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, so in that way, it's very uh, very traditional. It's very uh, evangelical. In the, in the proper sense of the word evangelical, it's a gospel catechism. It um, is very um, uh, clear, right? The first, the, the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism is very famous. Lots of people have yeah. learned it. Uh, in fact, uh, it's such a wonderful document that there was a uh, once upon a time, some years ago, and if you're in a used bookstore, you might see this sometime. Uh, I think it was one of those uh, Pentecostal television networks um, based in Orange County. What, which one huh. was that? Um, used to see off the Oh, TBN. Of, uh, is that TBN? TBN's, no, yeah. It used to be based in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach. Hmm. They okay. might have sold it. I'm not sure if that's the one you're thinking of, though. Yeah, that's think, a big yeah, maybe, one. I think that's right. TBN. That's right. T, uh, the 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 uh, fellow with the white hair and the mustache. And, it sounds uh, right. They're right off the 405 yeah, and 55. Right off the 405. That's it. TBN. Um, 
So uh, it's because it's funny. The other night I saw a, a movie about Tammy Faye. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Jim and yep. Tammy. So that's, uh, anyway, um, uh, they were so taken with the first, I don't think they read much beyond the first question, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they were so taken with the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism that they had a whole bunch of them printed. And so there are TBN versions huh. of the Heidelberg Catechism out there in the, in the wild. And uh, I, people have shown them to me. Anyway, the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, if you learn it and meditate on it, will change your life. So yep. um, right? I'm, a high, I'm a big, big fan. Of, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. So that's Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one. And uh, let me just do two more because it sets yeah. the structure for the whole thing. How many things are necessary for you to know that in this comfort, you may live and die happily? Three things. And you've already heard me say this. First, yep. the greatness yep. of my sin and misery. Second, how I am redeemed from all my sins and misery. Third, how I'm to be thankful to God for, for such redemption. So there's the basic structure of the catechism and really the Christian faith. And then three, for where do you know your misery? Out of the law of God, mm -hmm. right? not, not out of the gospel, but, but out of the law of God. Then it goes on to quote Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and uh, walks us through what happened in the fall, and uh, then finally turns uh, in, in 19 uh, to, the, to the gospel, right? And yep. uh, it says, from where do you know this? Uh, out of the holy gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise, afterwards proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and prophets, and, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally fulfilled by his well-beloved son. So <clears throat> this is a, if, if evangelicals would learn question 19, um, it would save them a lot of grief. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Because this is a, a way to read the Bible that doesn't involve the centrality of national Israel. Hmm. It, invo it, it involves the centrality of Jesus Christ. Yep. The Bible is about Jesus, and it's not spiritualizing to see Christ in all of Scripture. And we're not reading him into all of Scripture. We're refusing to read him out of all of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, there, uh, and it just goes on. You, If you want to know about the, uh, you know, what is faith? Question 21, what is true faith? Uh, true faith is not only a sure knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also a hearty trust which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel, that not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. So that's, you know, in the old days, when this catechism was written, uh, young people and others actually memorized it word for yeah. word. Yeah. And when they made profession of faith and, and were united with the church, joined the church, um, they had to recite uh, some or all of the catechism and uh, I have served in congregations and in, and in denominations where it was the, the custom of all of the catechism uh, students, the catechumens, to memorize the catechism word for word uh. and, and to be able to recite it in front of the entire congregation. So I'm, I'm not suggesting necessarily <laughs> yeah. that we do all of that now, but uh, the way we spend our time these days, you could do a yeah. lot worse than memorizing the Heidelberg Catechism. That's, that's especially, true. Especially you, Peter Bell. I'm, I'm that's, pointing to you. <laughs> I saw that. I'm, I, saw your, I saw your email the other day, and that's, that's, I'm taking the route of memorizing it because I'm going for ordination yeah. in the URC right. in September. Okay, yeah. You so better I'm, do that. I'm going to memorize it. That's, that's you, the goal. You, it will change your life. I, I, uh, I've made, as a pastor, I've made lots of hospital visits yeah. and um, nursing home visits and sick home visits and things. And, and um, the catechism is just an, uh, an enormously rich treasury of, of um, Christian language, yeah. of wisdom and piety and truth. Yeah. Now, some people will hear me talking about the catechism and extolling the virtues of the catechism, and they're going to say, this guy is putting the catechism over the Bible. Mm. And, and that's just not true. Uh, but we all, uh, we say what we say in the catechism because that's what we understand scripture to teach. 
And obviously, when I I make hospital calls and and th- those those sorts of things, I always take my Bible with me. But I have to explain it somehow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean? You know, it's fine and it's good to quote scripture, and I do that all the time. But then somebody says, "Well, but Pastor, what does it mean?" Hmm. And and there's where the Catechism helps me because here the churches, the Reformed churches, have actually published. 129 questions and answers whereby they explain what they understand God's word to teach on the most important things. Well, what do we believe about the Trinity? How many times have I heard people say ridiculous things about the Trinity? <laughs> yeah. If you if you memorize the catechism or learn the language of the catechism yeah. or learn to think and speak like the catechism, it would save you from saying ridiculous things about the Trinity or about the two natures of Christ. Yeah. Um, teach, it would keep you from uh, ex- giving heretical explanations of, uh, of the Trinity or of uh, the two natures or of salvation mm-hmm. or of God's grace or justification or a- any number of things. So I often say, well, yes, I'm a church his- history professor. And, and, uh, um, but a lot of what I do is just glorified catechism instruction. I, I mean, in yeah. some ways, yeah, I'm, you know, I started off my uh, professional life in a sense as a pastor of teaching catechism to um, in eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old kids. And, and I'm still in, in some ways, just a catechist. Yep. Um, I started, you know, catechizing people in well, even when I was in college, but uh, doing it as a pastor in 1987 and here it is in 2022. And I'm still, I'm still uh, just, my catechism students are a little more squirrely. Uh, <laughs> A little, more yeah. rebe- a little more rebellious. <laughs> yeah. Shorter attention span. Shorter attention that span. Yeah, <laughs> take me back to the 12 year olds. Yeah. And if I can make yeah. a plug, actually, right. you, you posted about this a couple days ago. Um, the, the, the new kind of, I don't know what you call it, devotional liturgy kind of thing that Jonathan Gibson just published. Yeah with Crossway, where you start with how to break catechism, Lord's mm-hmm. Day 1, question 1. It's, so two nights ago is the very first time. I don't know why I've never done this before. The very first time that my wife and I, at the end, we were praying through the Heidelberg. The very oh. first time we'd ever done that stuff before. It's like, why haven't we been doing this in our in our prayers beforehand? Um, so mm-hmm. I, w- I would, and th- those who are listening to this, yeah, he's, he's holding it up right now. Those who are listening to this episode right now, this comes out two days after a conversation with uh, Jonathan Gibson. So we talked to him about this and he, he explained this. So if you guys want to um, both memorize it, but also use it in your devotional life, um, I guess your quote unquote quiet time. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a, uh, it's a great, it's a great resource for kind of consistently getting into the catechism. It has a nice smell it. It too. Good. Yeah. I don't know why. It's, it's I, a beautiful I, book. It's a beautiful I, I, I book. I don't usually sniff my books, just so you know. But yeah. it, you guys can only see that if you head over to our YouTube. Probably <laughs> twenty-five minutes in, you can see you can see Doctor Clark smelling his Sniffing book. books. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't normally. I mean, a lot of my books are really old and full of dust and mold and things, and it would be not a good idea to sniff them. But this, yeah, they they, they did something to this. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I, just, I felt I'm, I felt the need to let people know that like there's there's resources, the catechisms there, but there's resources for us now kind of more and more to, to use these in our everyday life. And you can also get um, the, I don't, I guess it's out, of, I think it's out of print right now, but um, last I knew, but the URC edition is nice okay. forms yeah. and prayers. Yep. And it's, it's we have of, one of those. Yep. And it, these prayers are also very good, um, uh, useful things for your devotions. It's got the Heidelberg catechism in it, the Belgian confession, the canons of Dort, the various liturgical forms yeah. uh, uh, that we use, and the translation we've retranslated. Uh, I wasn't, I say we, it was the United Reformed Churches. I was not involved, but uh, they did a, a good job of mm-hmm. retranslating the three forms, including the Heidelberg catechism. Uh, if you want, these are also, invo- uh, you can get this, um, the material for free at urcna.org. Mm-hmm. And there's also uh, a three forms. Org, I think. org, yeah, that's connected to the URCNA. Yeah, that one's that's a really well done. One. I, I use that almost every day. It's a really well done website for this and stuff. On the Heidelblog, there is Heidelblog.net slash catechism. Heidelblog.net slash catechism. Mm. And that's my my edition that I'm translating, editing. Um, it's revised from the RCUS 1978. Okay. Uh, there was a I, I disagree with them on their translation of question 86 and i also removed the archaic language and i maybe 
made some small adjustments that I'm using as the basis yeah. or part of the basis, the basis for the commentary or the original text, but I'm, yeah. I'm including the English translation, obviously in the commentary. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe if we can get into, uh, so there's a Heidelberg catechism. You, you went through some of the history who wrote it kind of what, like a structure and stuff. So what, what's the use of the catechism in the church? Like what, why use this as part of the church? Well, we, we use it in two or three ways, probably three principal ways. Uh, the first thing that we do, of course, is we catechize our young people. So in the Reformed churches, uh, you know, contrary to some traditions, we don't treat our children as little, uh, we don't assume that they're reprobated. Yeah, walking around little pagans. Until they, until they prove otherwise. I, yeah. I just had a conversation with somebody about that the other day, um, where they announced that their children were you know, unregenerates, you know, these are, these are small children. Yeah. It's like, how do you know that? How do you know that? Um, (laughs) I, I I don't, I don't know how you'd know that, but, um, and the, and the, and the church hasn't made that determination. So we, we regard our children and the way God's word does as we regard them as holy. First Corinthians 7, 14. Yeah. The word tells us that. Yeah. In fact, the interesting thing about first Corinthians 7, 14 is that, uh, Paul is actually making another argument. He's he's saying that to the unbelieving, to the believing spouse, um, he, he's actually making a case for not leaving the unbelieving spouse. Yeah. And the so he moves from the certain to the less certain. And the premise of his argument is, well, of course we know that the children of believers are holy. That's the premise. Yeah. People don't people fail to miss that, or they fail to see that they miss that. Uh, and. Uh, so that's uh, hugely important uh, because a lot, lots and lots of people start with the premise that their children are not holy, and uh, and so they then I think they come to a a, a bad conclusion. So um, you know, the uh, Paul says in the from the RS or sorry the ESV First Corinthians seven fourteen I almost said the RSV <laughs> head might explode for the uh, the unbelieving husband watch this, is made holy. Now, it doesn't say saved, doesn't say justified, but it does say made holy because of his wife. Now, if, you're, if your understanding of covenant and family doesn't, yeah. have, doesn't have room for this, then you need to adjust your view of covenant and family. Um, so the, uh, the unbelieving spouse is made holy because of the believing spouse. And if the unbelieving wife, he says, is made holy because of her husband, otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So the, 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 the given, the premise here is that, well, of course, children are holy. Well, why are ch- children holy? Because God said to Abraham, I will be a God to you and to your children. Yeah. That's the given. That's the basic. And again, if your system of understanding scripture as a whole doesn't have a way for accounting for that promise, or if you've written it off and said, well, that was then, this is now, or really Abraham and Moses are exactly the same thing. And when Christ died, all that went away and it no longer applies. If, the, if that's how you look at things, you're not following the apostle Paul and you're not following the apostle Peter because he said in Acts 2.39, for the promises to you and to your children, mm-hmm. which is a restatement of Genesis 7.17.7. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we have uh, believing uh, parents and their children we baptize those children uh, per the command and promise of Scripture, and we catechize them. We nurture them in the faith. We pray for them. Uh, we we pray with them. Uh, we instruct them. We take them to church. We don't necessarily, I hope, farm them out. You know, during church to children's church, we keep yeah. them in the service with us so that they're participating in the means of grace. And they mean obviously they're not understanding everything, but they understand that they're a part of this. Yeah. And uh, this, these are their people. And, um, and then gradually they come to an understanding and the Holy Spirit is using the preaching of the, of the law to teach them the greatness of their sin and misery and the preaching of the gospel to draw them to Christ. And uh, we trust that over time, we expect that God, the Holy Spirit is going to use the preaching of the gospel to bring them to new life, uh, sovereign regeneration by sovereign grace and uh, grant uh, true faith to them. Uh, many of our covenant children don't even remember coming to faith because they only remember believing. Yeah. That's really, really important. Uh, the, if you have a, a, an assumption that your child has to have some, some uh, uh, shattering crisis of conversion, you are bringing to the faith a 19th century revivalist notion that is not 
in scripture that is actually the product of uh, of a famous revivalist from the 19th century named Charles Grandison Finney. He's the one who imposed that system on us and imposed that on the Bible. Uh, he was a, a Pelagian and a rationalist, and he figured out a, a system whereby, a mechanical system, whereby you could get people to be converted if you just yes. did the right thing. So we don't, uh, that's not how we look at things. That's not how we do things. And so we catechize uh, our, our children, we instruct them, uh, they learn the catechism, uh, they learn the scriptures. And uh, when they're ready, uh, and uh, when they're able to make a credible profession of faith, when they're able to understand what it means to eat uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, um, not with the teeth, but, uh, but, but, but by faith, to, uh, to eat or be fed by the body and blood of Christ, by the m- mysterious operation of the Holy Spirit. I mean, not that we have to have a comprehensive understanding yeah. of that because that would leave all of us out. But you have to have some understanding of what it means uh, to examine oneself, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians Corinthians 11, and um, to eat and what it means to eat uh, the body of of Christ and to drink his blood. This is the covenant in my, uh, this is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus. And that's, uh, that is um, challenging um, language. It's profound language. And we have to understand what it means to enter into a covenant with God that way and to receive the benefits of the covenant of grace. And and so our children, so the catechism is part, an essential part of the preparation for that. Uh, We also use it in our Lord's Day worship in the the second service, whether it's afternoon or evening. Um, Our our evening service is, um, the sermon is structured by and informed by the catechism. And um, so we have a normally an exegetical sermon in the morning where a pastor is taking us through a, a passage or a chapter or something, and um, in broad terms, preaching the history of redemption. And in the evening is where we tend to do our doctrinal preaching um, or our practical preaching, not to say there's no practical in the morning or doctrine in the morning, or, or that there's no history of redemption in the evening, but in broad terms. Yeah. That's what we do, and we use the the... We have the catechism is divided up into 52 Lord's Days, which, you know, doing a whole Lord's Day now in 2022 on a Sunday evening in a 30 minute message could be pretty challenging. In the <laughs> yeah. 1563, when we started doing this, uh, the minister had a, had an hour. Jeez. So Dr. Godfrey uh, gives us a hard time. He says, you, you guys don't do a whole, whole Lord's Day. And my response is, well, give me an hour like Orsinus and, and Olivianus had, and I can do a whole <laughs> Lord's Day, but you give me a half an hour. Um, you've, you've given me a pretty tall order to cover all three, because there's three points pretty much in every catechism answer. And in some Lord's days, there are three answers, which means a a nine point sermon. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah. And you're going to, and so divide, uh, you know, 30 minutes by nine points. uh, That's tight. Yeah. You got three and a half minutes a point. That's tight. You're, you're having a hard time doing anything. So, um, so, but th- that's what we do. And, uh, I, you know, pastors, I- I'm always encouraging, have been for a long time, encouraging pastors to take the layup, you know, in, in basketball, many, many moons ago, I was a, I was a mediocre basketball. <laughs> and one of the things I learned was that, uh, on a fast break, uh, the point is, uh, the goal, um, the intent is to, is to score a basket is to, is to get two points. And, um, I had some friends who thought, you know, if I, I do a 360, you know, and, and then lay it up, you know, take a three foot uh, fade away. Uh, I, I get style points as well as you know. <laughs> no, there are no style points in basketball. Take yeah. the layup, uh, just lay the ball off the glass and go back and play defense. That's, <laughs> that's actually how, how it works. Yeah. And the catechism is the layup in a sense huh. for the preacher, um, your evening sermon, not that you don't have to do any work, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on this uh, commentary. It's a lot of work, but, yeah. uh, but it, it does, your outline is, is already there for you. Huh. So you've, you've invested all these hours in your morning sermon, and you still have to invest some hours in the evening sermon. But doing two giant exegetical sermons every, every Lord's Day, that can be done, uh, but it can also lead to a certain uh, amount of burnout. And this way, when you do the catechism sermon, and so I'm giving a little defense apology for catechism sermons, yeah, yeah. you cover the whole faith and you cover theology, piety, and practice, right? We're talking about practice, not a game, <laughs> not a game, 
not a game. We're talking about practice. So um, that's valuable uh, to yeah. cover all those things. Because Alan it, Iverson you know, quote. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, lef- some preachers left to themselves will, will skip some of these things. And uh, this covers everything. So it's, so that's the second major thing. And then the third way we use the catechism is as a guide. Hmm. So when, when an issue comes up and somebody says, well, I think X is the case. Um, then we can say, well, you know, we have a catechism. We, as it happens, we also have a confession, the Belgic confession. But we're mm-hmm. not talking about that right now. And we have the canons of Dort. Those are the rules of the Synod of Dort mm-hmm. against the Remonstrants or the Arminians. So we have these resources, and the catechism is a major part of that. And it helps us understand the, the various uh, issues that, that are being uh, presented to us. And so if somebody says, well, you know, I think God uh, accepts me partly on the basis of Jesus' obedience for me and partly on the basis of my sanctification. Um, then uh, we, we say, well, actually, uh, we don't think that's correct. We've studied this issue, and we've come to a conclusion on the basis of our reading of Scripture that we are righteous uh, before God only by true faith in Jesus Christ. That is, although my conscience accuses me that I've grievously sinned against all the commandments of God, and have never kept any of them, and am still prone always to all evil, yet God, without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never committed nor had any sins, and had myself accomplished all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled for me, if only I accept such benefit with a believing heart. So that's our answer on how I am justified, how how I am right with God. If somebody says, uh, well, I, I think I'm justified by grace alone, through faith alone, but I don't think God expects me to even try to obey um, um, his holy law. We say, well, we, we've thought about that too, and, and uh, we, we disagree with you very strongly. In fact, we think that uh, God uh, requires uh, uh, believers to, uh, to obey the, the law. We, we recognize, we say in 114, that even the holiest of men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of such obedience, yet uh, so that with earnest purpose, uh, they begin to live not only according to some, but according to all the commandments of God. So we've, we've thought about a lot of these yep. things that people yep. are arguing about or confused about. And, um, and we've, I think we've answered them very, very well, actually. Yeah, like, like yeah. Nick and I talked about last episode, it's the, the wheel has already been invented. So why, why are we trying to, to try to invent kind of our own modern wheel when we can just look back at the one that people have fought for, debated over, died over, and, and say, this is what the church believes. Well, that's right. And test it by scripture. Yeah, exactly. Right. If you don't think this is biblical, uh, fine. Uh, then uh, take the catechism in one hand and take the Bible in another and, and see if it holds up. Yeah. We've, got, yeah. we've got proof texts in there. Every claim that we make is, is um, marked with a, a proof text. And um, we think that, that the scriptures tell us these things. Um, yeah which is why we say what we say. We, we confess the, the Heidelberg and the Belgic and the canons because they're biblical. Mm-hmm. That's why if it wasn't biblical, we wouldn't, we, if we didn't think it was biblical, we would not impose it on the church. We've imposed it on the church because we're convinced this is what the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're gold because they've already been tested through fire. It's already, it's already valuable now to be used. And so um, that's something that I kind of said in the last episode too, but going back to one of your earlier statements and talking, t- tying the Heidelberg catechism to how we would instruct children and include them into our covenant community churches, that does make it easier to see that with do, baptizing our babies, right? When you know that we baptize our babies into the covenant community and teach them to be a part of it it is it's easier to see what you're going through when you're talking about that well that's right um it it is it um uh it's a revolutionary way of thinking about the faith for some people and thinking about the church mm-hmm. um but but you, ha- you have to understand that that to god came to us that is to abraham who is our father in the faith according to the apostle paul right he paul treats abraham so think about this Paul treats Abraham as if Abraham were a Christian. Mm-hmm. Read Romans 4. Paul <laughs> yeah. treats Abraham as if Abraham were a Christian. And so when Paul says he's our father, he's the father of all who believe, he's talking about Christians. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so the God came to Abraham in a sense, a Christian before Christ, before the incarnation, anyway, and uh, and made a promise to him: "I'll be God to you and to your children." And so, uh, with the whole church, by the way, not just it's not just the Reformed Church that has said this, but the whole church understood. And, and going back to the very earliest expressions of covenant theology in about AD one twenty, and again in in AD one fifties. And in the AD 170s, you can see early Christian theologians uh, uh, accept this proposition that Abraham is our father, that we're in that same covenant as Abraham was, uh, that covenant of grace, and our children are included. That's a mm -hmm. basic way of thinking. So I know it sounds strange in America where uh, you know, there are 60 million uh, evangelicals or so, give or take, in, in uh, North America anyway, most of those probably in the United States overwhelmingly most of them in the, in the united states and uh they uh, most of those people are completely unaware of this way of thinking mm -hmm. and and so you mustn't assume that whatever is normative in the united states is normative historically or traditionally we live in religiously we live in a very strange place and in a very strange time and you you mustn't take our place and our time as the baseline, because it isn't the baseline. Our place, our time is the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And kind of, so two points as, as we, as we enter time, I know we're, we're shorter on time today as well. Um, but <clears throat> so one of them kind of more of a statement, it's, we, again, we talked about this last episode that we don't have to go looking for theological curriculum for our kids or um, new iterations of theological curriculum where we have a ready-made built-in curriculum for the Reformed Church to teach our kids the faith, to teach ourselves the faith, instead of looking for kind of the new hot thing coming out on a year-to-year -year basis. Um, but then, so kind of attach that <clears throat> as we as we end this, if you if you were, we'll say you're, you're in an elevator with somebody and you have this overwhelming sense that you want to explain to them in a minute, two minutes, a short amount of time as you possibly can, why they should be using, why they should be reading, why they should be confessing the Heidelberg Catechism um, as, as, as a Reformed Christian, a Reformed church. So somebody who's never seen it, never read it, never heard about it. Um, you've, you've, got a, you've got a minute or so, you've got a, you've got a short amount of time to, to be apologetic for the Heidelberg. What would you say? Dude, if you're not using the Heidelberg Catechism, what are you even doing? <laughs> okay. That's my that's my elevator pitch. I mean, you um, if if you're not using you know at least one of the historic reformed uh, evangelical Protestant catechisms, what what are you uh, even doing? We we've thought we the church have thought about all the things that you're uh, worried about and trying to figure out, and um, maybe we're wrong, but you haven't gotten to that place where you're ready to say that yet because you don't even know what the questions are. So uh, why won't you let uh, the church help you to to articulate the faith? What if we already have language for prayer hmm. and, and, and language for expressing the faith and um, and, and language for uh, explaining the faith to other people? It's it's all here for you, collected in 129 questions and answers, 52 Lord's Days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe just a slightly different perspective on. Peter's question, just to end it out, uh, knowing obviously you're an expert of the Heidelberg Catechism and you're passionate about it, you do the Heidel blog, you're, uh, the Heidel cast, all that stuff. Heidelblog.net. Uh, yes. And your dog, you're, you, <laughs> yeah. you probably have your dog is the Heidel dog, probably. Yes. yes, yes absolutely. She is. <laughs> your wife is the Heidel wife. Your, the, yeah. your, your car is the Heidel car. No, Heidel, Heidel so Jeep. Heidel Jeep. The, the wife is the Heidel Frau. That's, that's right. Yes. And the, the, Jeep, the Jeep is the Heidel Jeep. So. That's right. So, yeah. so my, the point of that question is um, what's, what's gotten you personally so uh, passionate about the Heidelberg specifically compared to some of the other catechisms? Huh. Just using it. I've been using it now since um, I came into the uh, Reformed Church in, in 1980 or 80. I think I probably joined in 1981. And, um, started reading the Heidelberg and then, um, you know, using it as a pastor um, beginning in 1987, studying it as a student, you know, at seminary from 
84 to 87. Um, so, you know, using it now for a long time, uh, 40 years, and I, I love it more now than when I started uh, because uh, it, uh, I always, I'm always learning. I'm always, uh, the, the catechism, I, I love things that help me, right? The tools and things that don't help me, I tend to get rid of them, you know, give them away or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you'll take the catechism when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers because it helps me for all the reasons that I, I said um, that it, it, it has helped me so much. I, I think, frankly, you know, I, I talk to people regularly who struggle with assurance mm-hmm. and sure we all struggle to some degree, but you know, I'm not in perpetual crisis over assurance because the language of the Heidelberg catechism is in my head mm-hmm. and in my heart, you know, Heidelberg 60, as I, I was saying, mm-hmm. it, it recognizes that it says, you know, that is, although my conscience accuses me, and the premise is, the, the assumption is that conscience, my conscience is telling me the truth, that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God and have never kept any of them, and am still prone always to all evil. This is Romans 7. This is the Reformed understanding of Romans 7. Yet God, and that yet God, right? That's right out of Ephesians 2, but God. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. that stuff's in my head. It's It structures the way I understand Scripture. It It um, it, it helps me to think about myself. Yeah. Um, and I, and so I don't despair. Yes. I struggle and, and, and yeah, I, and sure. I'm, I grieve and I'm penitent. Um, but, um, but I have a way of thinking about the faith. So I'm so thankful that, that they, uh, you know, that the people who taught me the reformed faith taught me, uh, the Heidelberg catechism, mm-hmm. I have a very clear, a brief understanding of the Ten Commandments in the Catechism. Um, you know, I have a language for prayer in, in the Catechism. I have a way of understanding the Lord's Prayer. There are some Christians who don't even think that the Lord's Prayer is for today. Who taught them that? Where did that nutty, insane, yeah. false, corrupt, evil, wicked thing, uh, where did, from where did that come? That's a crazy thing to say. Christians have always prayed the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. We n- historically never thought that the Lord's Prayer was for some future millennial period or something. No, it's our prayer. The disciples said, teach us to pray. Um, Jesus didn't say, well, okay, I'm going to teach you, but don't do that now. Do that later. Hmm. That, that's insane. No, <laughs> I, uh, I have a way to pray that Jesus gave me. And so when I struggle for language hmm. to pray, I say the Our Father. Yep. The Lord's Prayer, and I don't feel guilty about it because it's the it's the prayer our Lord Jesus gave us to pray. Yeah, um, that's not, not to say that that's all we do, or that's there's nothing more to say about prayer. But th- th- having this bedrock uh, foundation for my faith, I think, has really helped keep me from some of the things that I think other uh, others of my brothers and sisters sometimes struggle with. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah, before, before we let you go, I want to um, kind of plug to for, for our audience who's listening, if you're watching on YouTube too. So this is gonna, net, right? You're yeah. Gonna, yeah. Heidelblog.net. Yeah. Find, find him on Heidelblog, find him on Heidelcast and his new, uh, his new network that he's building. Um, so find all those things and you'll see a bunch of resources. And we're actually, we're actually giving away some of his resources um, with a partnership with PNR. So oh, nice. yeah, PNR is going to give out uh, uh, recovering reform confessions and also the covenant justification and pastoral ministry. So if you if you guys mm-hmm. go on our Twitter tomorrow, get Goat Grace Pots. This is coming out Monday, uh, February 21st. So Tuesday on the 22nd, we're giving away these and then probably more resources on the, Heidel, on the Heidelberg. So you, you guys have a, a chance to win a bunch of these things for free. So we want to want to um, kind of gift the church these things through some of the people that we know. So you guys can learn this stuff. Wait, wait. So, so they can win two books on two 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 two. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's right. I forgot about that. Wow, that's fantastic. That's great. I forgot that was yeah. Two 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 two. So we got yeah. Two, we're giving away two books, two books two, 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 two. on the second month of the year on the twenty second day of the month in the year twenty twenty two. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of stuff. It's <laughs> a lot of twos. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking about the the Heidel Heidelberg and. Uh, thankful yeah. for your work and, and the, the commentary that you're writing. And I hope people learned a little bit about this and pick up the Heidelberg along with their Bible and, and read their Bible in one hand and see what it means in the other hand. Amen. Thank you, brother. You bet. Good to talk with you, Ben. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Peter Bell. If you are looking for a church that preaches the gospel weekly and enjoys close fellowship in the Orange County area, 
Come join our growing core group at Santa Ana Reformed as we prayerfully work towards planting United Reformed Church under the oversight of Reverend Danny Hyde and Oceanside United Reformed Church. We meet Sunday starting February 20th at 4 p.m. for Bible study with a fellowship dinner to follow at 5.30 p.m. Email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com or go to the top of our show notes for a link to be placed on our update list. I hope to see you there. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah. And you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further yep all for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.